This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 122. Hey friends, welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. It is an especially beautiful day today because I have a fabulous guest, Bridget Capel. Hi, Bridget. Hello, and hello, everyone. So happy. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. Anyway, today, Bridget and I are going to talk to you about something really interesting called attachment styles and how they affect our relationships and they can also affect the balance in our life. And so um, this is something that Bridget talked to me about just a little while ago, and I really hadn't heard much about it. So I started reading up on it and Bridget teaching me some things and gathering all this information so we could bring it to you. So let's talk about attachment styles, Bridget. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not a therapist, but if you've been in therapy or um, in coaching, you might have run into attachment Um, it's something that you'll talk about, but I'm kind of a therapy adjacent nerd. So, um, I'm really into this stuff, but, um, I guess we'll start by talking about, um, when you start developing an attachment style. Yeah. Um, Well, sorry, let me just say something really quick that I meant to say, just to kind of explain to people what exactly this is just a little bit. Um, and hopefully as we go through it, you'll understand it if you haven't heard of it before. Um, but it's kind of, it's part of our subconscious programming that affects the way we operate in our lives with, with our relationships. And sometimes it's one of the reasons that we feel kind of out of control when we're making decisions or whether we're in a situation at work or in um, conflict with someone that certain things come up because it's programmed into our brain. And um, one of the things I read that I thought um, explained it really well is it said your attachment style dictates how you relate to other people, particularly in situations that trigger stress. And so this is something that is kind of deeply programmed into your brain from when you were a child. And so um, go ahead now, Bridget. Sorry. Okay. I- I had to jump back and say that. I'm glad you gave some context because we didn't do that. Um, so just a quick overview. Um, attachment starts to develop um, between birth and nine months of age, which I, I found surprising. I think that's really early um, that we start like latching onto those patterns. Um, but so from about birth to three months is the pre-attachment stage when you uh, don't really have a preference for your caregiver, it's basically whoever's there to care and help, you're happy to do it. Um, <laughs> That's when babies are really fun because you can just yeah. hold them and they don't care. They just like to be rocked and pass them around to everybody. Yeah. So that's right. that stage. Um, the second stage, which has a little bit of an overlap because everybody's different. You know, we all have different ways of developing um, is from about six weeks to seven months. And um, that's where, uh, children, babies start to really show preference for their primary and secondary caregivers. So, you know, if you try to pass them off to somebody else, they're going to cry and freak out and not be happy about that. 
Um, they really prefer mom or dad or grandma, or whoever is, is whoever spends the most time with them. Yeah. Yep. And then the third stage is discriminant attachment, um, which is from about seven to 11 months. And that's where you have a defined preference for one caregiver that starts to show up where it's like, it's all about mom or it's all about dad or it's all about whatever. And hopefully it's always mom. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess that depends, but yeah, (laughs) you got a good mom. Maybe it's mom. Maybe. Um, yeah, and that's when you start to see signs of separation anxiety. That's when that first starts to show up um, more so. That's like when they'll really freak out and show a preference for, for someone to soothe them. Um, and then the fourth stage is multiple attachments. So that's from you know around nine months on. Um, and that's when you'll see children have close bonds with primary uh, caregivers, maybe parents, and then you know, more people and grandma, like become a little more open. Yeah. It expands from there. Other um, people. And yeah, so that's when that, the, these styles start to uh, show up in children. And it's and crazy because we carry them all the way into adulthood. <laughs> it's so crazy. And, and it's so, it sounds so stressful when you talk about it. Cause as a parent, <laughs> if you, if you have a young baby, you're like, oh, I got to get it right in 11 months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but I guess it's not always in the control of the parents. I mean, on some level it is, but yeah. Yeah. yeah to do with your environment and, and all of that. So yeah, that's how it starts. Um, and then I guess we can go into what the attachment styles are and. Um, yeah, let's do, let's describe, there's four of them, right? That's, that's right. the way they're mostly listed in um, psychology. And I guess there's been multiple people that have researched this. So it's a pretty well-established thing. And I'm not a therapist. So this is something that I don't use in coaching, but I find it really interesting. And the reason we're talking about it today is I think that it's something that is great for us to try to determine and understand so we can help ourselves moving forward in our relationships. So it's useful on a self-help level, even if you're not in therapy or in coaching right now. Yeah, just explain to like explain that to me, what, how we could use it for um, helping ourselves, our self-development and becoming a better human. Well, yeah, developing awareness around anything I think is, is super helpful in our growth. And I mean, because this is something that we've carried with us all the way from childhood and it basically affects um, I mean, we were talking earlier about not only your relationships, but maybe like how you deal with stress and um, but it mostly affects the way that you show up with people, but people are everywhere and we're always interacting with people. So <laughs> to know yeah, if how you don't you might, think you, if you don't think you have any relationships, you're wrong, right? Yeah, that might be your attachment style. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it affects the way that you show up and it affects how you manage people and the amount of trust you have and how close your relationships are and um, how much you trust yourself even um, based on how you were cared for or not cared for growing up um, and how, you know, your needs were met or not met. Uh, so that really shows up. Yeah. And, and my philosophy is always the more we learn about ourselves, the more we work on ourselves, the better, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it's all about. So this is one way that you can learn more about yourself and then, use it, use that information to move yourself forward. Yeah. Okay. 
So shall we try to go through each type? Yeah, I, I think I'll list them out first. Um, and if anyone has ever researched this before, there's a lot of names and they're all kind of weird. And there's also different names for the same thing. So I guess I can just kind of go over that quickly. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So there's, this one's pretty universal. Secure attachment is the first one. Then you have insecure avoidant or also known as dismissive avoidant. Uh, then there's insecure ambivalent, also known as anxious preoccupied. Uh, and then there's disorganized, which is also known as fearful avoidant. So they're all really weird, like not the best names, but um, those are two versions of each one. Well, and hopefully as we go through, um, some of those names will make more sense. Because yeah. I know when I first started looking at it, it kind of felt like alphabet soup. But I think the more you, the more you have it explained to you, the easier it gets to understand. Right. Yeah, it's a little overwhelming. But once you have like a flavor for each of them, it, it makes sense where, yeah. where everyone ends up. So uh, let's start with secure attachment. Okay. Um, this is, I guess you would say the ideal attachment. Um, and that's kind of what we're all working towards. Uh, so when you were a child, if you had secure attachment, you were easily soothed and felt safe. Um, you felt like you could count on your caregiver to be there um, and soothe and care when you needed them to. Um, and then as you grow up, that those caregivers are like a safe base for you to return to and then also feel free to go and explore the world around you. Um, and then also if you were distressed or needing, uh, needing to be soothed, you would turn to your caregiver to seek out that help. Um, so, so that's how secure to ask for help. Right. Right. And so that, that develops a sense of like self-confidence, trust in yourself and trust in others. Um, and yeah, being able to, to seek help, but also feel kind of self-sufficient. So in, um, like for instance, a, a romantic relationship or a, I don't know, like a non-work relationship, something more intimate, um, you're gonna allow yourself and the other person to have that independence and grow together. There's like a sense of mutual growth. Um, and then you'll turn to your partner or your friend or whoever for support when you need it, but also kind of have that self-sufficient independence at the same time. So you can see how it's kind of like a, it's a, a very stable balance. Like a healthy, solid relationship. Right, right. And that doesn't mean that it's like a perfect relationship where there's no conflict. Secure relationships have conflict. They just um, come together to, and, and are openly sharing their feelings um, to resolve the problems that you're having. That's secure mm -hmm. attachment. Um, and then do you want me to talk about how that shows up at work? Well, I just, I just thought of something that I want to say real quick is I, when I think of this and I hear this described to me, I think of um, a relationship that I have with someone who's my very best friend that I've known since I was a kid and, and we've known over each other all these years. And, and she's the person that I feel the most comfortable with in the world, pretty much, you know, mm -hmm. except maybe for my husband, but she's the person that this secure it when you describe that kind of relationship that's yeah. what that feels like to me so I think if you have one of those in your life that it kind of helps you put this in you know um perspective so what does that look like 
Well, I think, you know, when you, when you talk about allowing yourself to grow and being super, super secure, like my, this friend that I'm referring to, like, we can't, we don't have to talk for months on end and we're still fine. Like, I know she's still my friend. She knows I'm still her friend. Like we don't have any need or want to always be talking to each other. But when we do, we don't hide anything, you know, like everything's on the table. So as you were reading through that stuff, I was like, oh, I know that relationship, you know, um, with someone that's not your spouse or your, you know, parent or whatever. So I think that, you know, it just kind of gives me an example of what that might look like for somebody, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so often talked about in like romantic relationships or just like parent-child relationships. Yeah, that's why I thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, the other thing is um, when I was looking into this secure attachment, um, they used things um, like resilient, objective, those kind of words, um, confident. And then also um, in one of the things that I read about, they talked about that when you're in a secure relation, when you're in the secure attachment or you have secure attachment, um, you have a positive self-image and you also have a positive image of others. Right. right. And I, I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like self-trust and trust of others. Like you're able to let other people do what they're going to do. Yeah. It's definitely a more like accepting reality based kind of yeah. yeah yeah you're not looking for for flaws or or hiding from um or like and that's, that's why this is it's kind of the the work to try to get to that place right get to those secure attachments rather than letting your you know other attachments pull you pull you down right well when this when this was first developed um I can't remember the name of the the therapist or the researcher, but he, um, maybe we can look that up and and throw it in here. Yeah. I wrote it down at one point. I just don't know where it is in my notes, but he theorized that like, once you had an attachment style, that it was constant forever. It's like, that's your attachment style. That's how you're going to deal. And yeah, I don't, uh, um, they've, you know, researched beyond that and found that not to be true, that you can develop this in a, in an environment where you have someone, validating and helping you feel what secure attachment feels like so you can do it in your other relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can imagine that some relationships actually are easier to get to that secure than others. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, if you're working on that, well, go through what it might look like at work. Cause we, we did research that too, is if you have work relationships, cause many of the people that listen to this podcast have, um, pretty close people that they work with and a lot of relationships at work. Right. Right. And talk about that a little bit, how that would look in a secure attachment. Yeah. So for secure attachment at work, um, if you, if you have that, you're going to probably manage your time better. You're going to have a good work-life balance, like a, a healthy boundary between like when work is done and when it's, you know, when you need to do it. Um, you're confident to take on tasks as they come to you, but not necessarily saying yes to everything that comes your way. There's a, um, you're able to discriminate a little bit more and then also able to ask for help when you need it. So you don't feel like it's all on your shoulders or that you're trying to avoid 
everything. Um, and that's that trust. Yeah, exactly. Like trust that other people might be able to help you. Right. Right. Okay. I think that gives us a pretty good idea of what secure attachment is, don't you? Yeah. I think that one makes the most sense. <laughs> well, oh. yeah, yeah, it yeah. kind of does. The it other one makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, um, pretty intuitive, that one. Well, and I did, a, um, they have online tests that you can do to see kind of what your attachment style might be. And I did one um, when we were researching this and it gave me percentages of the different ones. Yeah. Like it said 50% this, and yeah, I think I, it was 50% secure and 30%, mm-hmm. um, the next one we we're going to talk about. And so I don't know if that's typical of the testing, if that's how they, they rank it, or if they just put you into one attachment style, but I thought that was interesting that they gave percentages. So that yeah. tells me that you can be in different points in this, this journey. I think that makes the most sense. I mean, I'm, I think your average person, I don't want to speak for everybody, but probably has, you know, one, one to two caregivers and that might have influenced you differently as you were developing. So um, depending on the person that you're interacting with, maybe you had, I don't know, dismissive avoidant attachment with one caregiver where you had secure attachment with another. So you find this coworker in your life that triggers that dismissive avoid it oh gosh this one reminds me of my mom or whatever (laughs) yeah exactly or you project that on them a little bit because you have that attachment style with a particular person or personality um I think that definitely comes it kind of pulls it out maybe yeah yeah okay let's talk about the next one which one are you going to do next so next on my list I have insecure avoidant or dismissive avoidant um So these are the people that when they were growing up as children, they didn't really attach to their primary caregiver because they didn't feel like they could count on them to get their needs met. So um, either their caregiver wasn't there at all or um, they were rejecting or dismissive of their needs altogether. Um, So an example of this is like seeing parents in public when their child is you know, emotional and and out of control saying, you know, get it together. You're embarrassing me. Um, you know, kind of talking to them like they're adults, um, and expecting them to be able to meet their own needs and and no guilt. If you're, if you're a mom out there, don't take any of this to guilt (laughs) because I don't know if this, if this rings to Bridget, but when, when you're a mom and you're talking about this stuff, you think, Oh, how many times did I do that to my kids? (laughs) When they were saying mom, 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 and you're just sort of like ignoring them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody, nobody's perfect. So like, yeah, yeah, it's not like you have to make no mistakes or that you, you should have had a childhood with no mistakes because that's just not realistic, but it's not um, real life, but that's why it's good to learn about this stuff because then you can uh, understand it. Yeah. But, you know, children aren't, aren't, don't know what's happening with these complicated emo- emotions and they're not right. able to control themselves. So mm-hmm. to be talked to, like, you need to figure this out when you don't have a clue, you don't have a context for how to figure that out. Right. Um, it can lead to this. So, yeah. um, so we see it in children who are in distress um, because they won't seek comfort from that attachment figure. They'll be in distress, but they're also not going to like try to help. Um, and they won't really show a preference between their own caregiver and then a complete stranger. 
So it's kind of like whoever will soothe me, will soothe me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they don't know who, who is better. So in relationships and friendships and romantic relationships, they're going to be a little more emotionally distant there. These are the people that are kind of aloof and, um, you know, if their, their partner is needing of them, they're going to want to like shut them out and they need a lot more, um, alone time and distance and separation than, I don't know, other people, um, and they're going to try to push themselves away or push the other person away because they don't want to feel that vulnerability. So it's, it really comes from like a lack of trusting other people to be there for you when you need them. So um, they put on this air of like, I don't need anybody. I've got it all under control. So they're really self-reliant. Um, but then deep down, they really do want that connection and that, that care given to them. Some of the, some of the words that came up for me when I was doing my research are, um, emotionally distant, Mm -hmm. these people, um, they, some, they oftentimes view other people as, um, untrustworthy, which is kind of what you said. And, um, the other thing that it said is these people have a positive self-image, but Mm -hmm. they sometimes have a negative image of other people. Right. That's why the, the close relationships aren't easy for them. Right. Right. They can see other people as like needy, even if they're not being needy, it's just like that, that emotional need from another person comes off to them as like, yeah, it's like a threat. It's like this inauthentic, like, like, I don't need anybody. Why do you need me? Like they need to push that away. That's kind of right. Stay away. Right. Right. Yeah. So people that, yeah, we can get into this too, but I'm sorry. I've got to plug in my power because it's yelling at me. Sorry about that. I should have had it plugged in already, but now it is. (laughs) I don't want to cut us off. Okay. I just got I got a little derailed. That's okay. I'm trying to get back on the train. Let's do. Uh, Let's do those people at work, maybe. Okay. Okay. That'll might get you back. So at work, there might be a little bit of an air of like, I am the smartest one and everyone else is dumb. Like (laughs) (laughs) the reason I'm laughing at this is because earlier when Bridget and I were um, talking about this um, and kind of getting, we both researched it and then we came together and talked about it. I said, you know, yesterday I was at work and I had this exact thought, like, I, I'm the only one around here that knows how to do anything and everybody else is dumb. (laughs) Yeah. So so I think I might be this uh, dismissive avoidant type. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they're also going to maybe ignore others input. Like they don't trust what other people have to say and they're going to do it themselves. Um, but this can garner some conflict and mistrust from others. Um, so other people aren't, aren't going to want to, you know, trust you because they, you don't have that mutual respect, um, which can influence other people to want to micromanage at work, um, be on your case a little bit, which if you're dismissive avoidant is going to make you a little bit more annoyed and push away even more. So Mm -hmm. kind of just feeds itself. Well, and Um, it says these, these styles come out more when, or they show up more when you're in times of stress. And that's exactly where I was yesterday. I was super stressed and everybody was coming at me, you know, asking for me. And I was finally just like, get everybody get away from me. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So I think that's, that's got to definitely be where I fall in the scale. Mm -hmm. 
these uh, dismissive avoidant types are also going to, um, it might be the ones that get fixated on doing a project perfectly. Like even if their boss comes to them and is like, this is great, you're doing a great job, they're, they're gonna work later. And like, because it's about like how they feel about it. So there's even a mistrust of- Of uh, others' opinion, even if they're yeah. positive. Yeah, that's right. That's fascinating, right? Yeah. That's really fascinating. I don't, I don't see that in myself so much, but that, that is fascinating. I see that in, in many people mm -hmm. where they don't is, they, yeah, like time management thing of like, no, it has to be better than that. Right. Um, yeah. And keep pushing for perfection kind of thing. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So dismissive avoidant in like a, this may be jumping ahead, but in like a therapy environment, when you're learning to have secure attachment, you're going to be having your coach or your therapist validate you a lot and like try to build that secure bond with you. And that's going to feel really inauthentic and kind of like icky, gross to you because you're going to want to like push that away. Like you have someone giving you that authentic care and, and soothing that you needed as a child. And yeah, that's going to garner some discomfort um, as you try to work on that. Yeah. So it's going to be challenging, right. To change. Right. Yeah. Just it, I feel like maybe to, maybe to me and maybe to some other people that this type is like, oh, they've got it together and like, they don't need anybody. And it feels a little threatening, you know? Um, and they might feel like to you, if you're dismissive avoidant, that you, you've got it together and you don't need any help and you don't need therapy and you don't need a coach. Cause like you're so self-sufficient, but at the same time, you find yourself like not having any close relationships and, you know, not being able to have close friendships because you're pushing that away. Because so. you're pushing everyone away. Right. So therapy and coaching can help with that. Even if it's going to feel like this feels really fake. <laughs> even if it you don't feel, like it. Yeah. It might feel even kind even of like, you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It might feel like, Ugh, why do I have to do this homework and this like this fake bonding and something with, with someone else, but it feels fake to you because you never had it. Right. Yeah. That's really fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is there any more we need to say about that one? So that was, that was dismissive avoidant, insecure avoidant. Right. That's what we just talked about. Names okay. for those. Just so people get the names down. Yeah. All right. Take so, some notes because <laughs> there's a lot of names. Yeah. Um, I had to take a lot of notes. So <laughs> I, I am totally um, with you out there if you are struggling with this. Yeah. But it's cool. So just bear with us. Okay. So the next one is insecure ambivalent, which is also known as anxious preoccupied. Um, so these are the people that are, well, when you were a child, when you were a baby, um, they're very clingy and needy of their caregiver. But when their caregiver comes to soothe them, they reject. Um, so they're not easily soothed, but they probably have a lot of um, needs. Um, they're going to be, they might even become more upset when the parent comes to soothe them. Um, and so this kind of leads to not knowing who to count on or how to be soothed. It's kind of like, yeah, you're stuck in this place where you have a lot of needs and, and they're not being met. Um, and these people also might've grown up without healthy boundaries and not a lot of guidance. Um, so feeling like you're a little bit on your own, like you're alone. Um, yeah, yeah, a little bit alone and just not getting that that care that you needed. 
So in friendships and romantic relationships, they have this need to save um, other people, like so maybe a little bit of a savior complex mm. or to yeah, save that can be them. dangerous, right? If you're trying yeah, to yeah. save everyone else. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So they'll either kind of take on that role or the role of like, I need to find the perfect person to like, take me away. So sometimes me. Yeah. 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 To fix me to like fill that void that you, that you might feel like you have. Um, so sometimes they can make these like grand fantasy bonds with a, you know, non-existent person because the, the real people in their lives don't hold up to their expectations. Um, and they can also be really demanding and obsessive and clingy, kind of like looking for threats everywhere. There's kind of this like, I need to be hyper vigilant um, to make sure I don't get abandoned. Um, and they're going to overanalyze situations. And some of the words that I also um, kind of pulled out from these is um, they're very emotional. They oftentimes feel unworthy. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting and um, really approval seeking. Yeah. Yeah. These are the, the people that are like, well, like I'm not good enough for anyone. And that, that kind of like Very negative, negative self-image. Negative, yeah. It's, it's where you have a negative self-image of yourself, but you feel like other people are above you um, or like better than you in some way kind of like you need a savior and other people have all the answers and you don't. Right. Right. You're very needy to get get someone to fill that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, So at work, uh, anxious, preoccupied folks are going to have a fear of upsetting others, like kind of a yes man complex. Like I got to take it on or, or, you know, boss is going to be mad at me, negative bias, obsessed with issues until they're resolved. So one example that I read is like getting, getting an email and being like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm going to be fired. They're already looking for my replacement. Like kind of having like a, like a over, um, uh, what's the word for it? Like a little panic attack or something before you open the email. Yeah. Not, not even a panic attack, just a little bit of like, um, like extreme ends. There's a word for it in therapy and I can't like catastrophizing. Oh yeah. Like the, yeah. yeah like I'm going to get fired when maybe they're asking you yeah. something simple. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, I did, I did this all wrong. Like, like I'm going to be in trouble for this. Like kind of that. Um, and then waiting then for also- a disaster, like the, the kind of people that are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. Right. And then there's also a fear of saying no. Like if I say no, or I set a boundary, like they're going to be mad and, um, then I'm, then I'm not going to be accepted or I'm not going to, you know, it comes down to like, I'm not going to get the care I need if I, you know, put my foot down and say what I actually need, you know? Um, so they they give up their own needs for everyone else. Right. Right. Um, which is also like the savior thing a little bit. It's like, I need to be saved, but I also like, if I give up all my needs, then like, I'll be acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they might impulsively check their email to make sure they're on top of it, or they're kind of ultra aware of threats in the environment at work. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to move on to the next one? Sure. 
that let's say that name again so people remember. Okay, that was insecure, ambivalent, or anxious, preoccupied. Okay, so insecure and anxious, I think, kind of helped me. That kind of describes the way. Yeah. And you also have the preoccupied part of it. So you're right. like anxious and also like worried about something that's not worried necessarily about something happening. that's not actually happening. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and then the last, last one, one, fourth one, fourth one is disorganized attachment or fearful avoidant attachment. Um, so this one is a, kind of a confusing mix of different attachment behaviors. So if you're kind of like all of these apply, they all sound like me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this might be you. Um, So this was caused by um, an inconsistency from caregivers, either like your parents were coming in and being super helpful and supporting and soothing at one moment. And then another times it was like rejecting and dismissive. And so you were kind of getting like, I don't know. Am I I supposed to be cared for? Am I supposed to take care of myself? I don't know. Um, Yeah. So lots of mixed signals. So these people in relationships are going to have a fear of being too close or too distant. Like they don't, they don't want (laughs) to, they don't want to get too close with someone, but they also don't want to be alone and feel abandoned. So it's kind of this push and pull. yeah, they feel kind of overwhelmed by their own emotions and they can be unpredictable in their behavior. So one moment they're like all in um, and then the next moment they're like, whoa, 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 too far, I got to get out kind of kind of feeling. Um, so yeah, like what I just said, when people get too close, they can act out and like intentionally want to hurt their feelings, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, mostly, it's not about the other person. It's about what's going on inside. Right. They have, it's a fear of being, being vulnerable or, you know, being taken advantage of. So it's like, you kind of feel like you want to be vulnerable, but you also kind of need to have the upper hand, Um, but you don't want to have the upper hand over someone. So yeah, it's kind of this loop. Um, When I, when I go through these and I, we start talking about them, I, I think it's, it's probably going to be common for people to see a little bit of themselves in all of these styles on some level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I can yeah. see where this particular one would be pretty distressing if yeah. it's like back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of inner conflict and yeah. Turmoil. Um, yeah. And they're also going to want to like cling when they're rejected. So these people can a lot of times end up in abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if you constantly have someone pushing you away and, and not treating you right, that makes them want to cling more, but also get away. Yeah, it's very, it's complicated. Yeah, that is really complicated. Kind of emotional roller coaster types. Yeah, some of the words that I pulled out um, or some of the phrases were that, um, well, you said unpredictable, um, right. but feeling powerless mm-hmm. and, and fearing everything. Like they don't trust themselves and they don't trust their relationships. Mm -hmm. And so they end up being kind of socially distanced in a way. Right. Right. Yeah. They'll isolate themselves, but really want that. Yeah. Attachment. Yeah. So at work, uh, your fearful avoidant people are, these are the people that like, will say that they feel stuck, like the biggest stuck people, um, stuck at work. 
Yeah. Or in their relationships too, right? Like in a romantic relationships, the people that feel stuck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like not know, not knowing how to get out like that. And that can be a part of an abusive relationship. So of just, like, that, just that phrase, I, I feel stuck could be a sign that this is where you are. Right. Right. Yeah. And they have, they have all the fear of those with the anxious attachment, um, but without the confidence that they can make things right. Did I read uh, that correctly? I think I, yeah, no, I think you're right. Because they're, they're in the anxious attachment. There was a lot of fear. Yeah. And kind of that clingy, kind of that clinginess. Right. And so, but they don't, they, they're stuck because they don't have the confidence to work through it and work. Out right. It. Right. Um, yeah. So these people at work might avoid, this is very email based, but I'm sure you can translate this to a lot of different things, but avoid opening an email for fear of what will be said inside. So they're just going to like see it and be like, oh God, what could it be? And then just ignore it and, and ignore it and ignore it. And so then you're creating this like paralyzing dread around this, this unknown, this like, what if, um, because you're afraid of what could be inside. So, um, yeah, I, that kind of, that, the email example kind of makes me think, you know, are these also the people that in relationships with other people that they work with are afraid to address something or, you know, even, even go to somebody with an issue because they're so afraid of what could happen in that relationship. Yeah. Yeah, probably. They'll just like stomach it and handle it. Um, and not, not speak up. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, I really liked this phrase. This is totally copy pasted, but they don't trust themselves or the system. So there's an undercurrent of why even try in their day-to-day work. Yeah. It's like the system will let me down. I let me down. Like I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if you're feeling this way, this is a real sign that, you know, you need to get, get into therapy so you can start to work on these things. Right. Yeah. Coaching. Do you think like this would be something you could help people with as a coach? I think so. I think a lot of this, um, as I was looking into it is about just kind of being afraid to feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's something that coaches work on. Not, not necessarily the work that you need to do on your past, your, your childhood traumas, which I think is best dealt with in therapy. But I think for a life coach or somebody like me to help you, what we would probably help you on is the current feelings that are coming from your attachment style and then helping you to be able to work on being able to feel those feelings so you don't fear them. Because a lot of this, a lot of these attachment styles bring up all these emotions, right? Right. And a lot of what life coaching is, is helping you to deal with those emotions. So I think somebody that if someone's listening to this and and these things are like, wow, I never heard of this, but this sounds so, you know, like some of the problems I'm having, it sounds so interesting and probably true to me. I think um, probably going down both roads, you know, therapy to deal with the past traumas. If you have some, or you, or you're not sure that you have some, you know, cause like you said, the, the avoidant, was it the avoidant ones? that just think they've got it all together and they probably don't. <laughs> yeah. Both dismissive avoidant dismissive and fearful avoidant. avoidant. Yeah. yeah. They're both kind of self-reliant, but yeah. So I really think that, you know, 
both therapy and coaching could help. And I think from a coaching perspective, it would be working on feeling those emotions and, you know, realizing that they're just emotions and then moving on to, to gaining more trust in yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, and more self-confidence and more self-awareness, you know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what coaching is about. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then lastly, on the fearful avoidant work stuff, um, just to give another example, these might be the people that are going to avoid work and escape by doing other projects. So like you have something that you need to get done, but like, Ooh, my desk is really messy. I can do that right now. You know, it's like, you're going to chase around other things to do instead of doing like what really needs to be done. So that might be a time management issue that you run into with this attachment style. Um, and then the work doesn't get done, which just makes the anxiety worse. Yeah. So you have more dreading. Come on your anxiety, more of that anxiety. And that's what, that's so interesting because anxiety creates anxiety, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel this to people all the time in singing because people will come into voice lessons feeling they'll be like, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. I'm sorry. And I'll just be like, I just be nervous. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. just be nervous. Like, don't apologize for it and stop resisting it because it, it just makes it worse to be like, why am I nervous? I'm nervous. I need to it's stop being nervous. Power, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the more that you can just be like, I'm nervous. That's normal. Like, yeah. Here's my nerves. Every time I get on my voice lesson, I get nervous. Right. (laughs) Even when you were giving me voice lessons, I was nervous. Yeah, that's totally, totally normal. But, but yeah, it's just a, you don't want to feel those feelings. So, um, so overall people without secure attachment, if you fall into one of the other three are going to feel like maybe you're the only one that you can count on in different ways. So not going to seek outside help believe other people will let you down. You're afraid of being heard and you don't have close relationships, um, which like ultimately is going to make your mental health issues uh, worse. Right. Struggling with low self-esteem or depression, anxiety, those things. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just understanding that this, these four styles are, are there and everyone's got them, right? This isn't, this isn't unique. This is a human thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it, and it's the beauty of learning about these things is to create awareness in yourself. Right. Cause that's what is hard where you can work on it. Yeah. It's really hard though, because like, because it starts so young, once you're an adult, like you don't have any evidence to support that, you know, having friends or family or close relationships in your life is going to be beneficial to you. Right. You have all this evidence to say that like, depending on your type, like people will betray me or people won't meet my needs or people are so inconsistent. I, I don't know what's going to happen. So the only person I can rely on is me. Maybe I don't even know yeah. if I can rely on me. Right. So there's like, there's a lot of that. So that's why getting in with a coach or a therapist is so important because they're the ones that can be there and be a consistent, like, they know about secure attachment or they're going to be able to give you that validation and that support so that you can start to feel it. You can work your way towards that. Yeah. But just know it's going to feel inauthentic and you're going to feel a little like, like, is this person really on my side? But you have to, you know, trust that they're trying to help you. Yeah. And just like all work, I, in my experience, all work you do on yourself is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like self-development is uncomfortable. That's why so many people don't do it. Right. And they just kind of wallow where they are and, 
they, you know, blame others or blame the world. And it, it really is all about examining what's inside and working on it. Right. You know, and realizing that we all need to do that. Yeah. So should we talk about like how, what you, what would you do in coaching to help someone work on this or, you know, what, what can you do? Like, well, how would you start approaching this in therapy or in coaching? How would you bring this up to your Yeah, coach? I mean, I, I guess I can't speak because I'm not a therapist. And if we were talking, you know, past traumas, the, mm-hmm. the real thing that I would probably end up working on in these situations is just trying to get to the bottom of the emotion and the feelings that are tied to this. And then once we kind of get there is try to work on our thoughts, you know, because we know that anxiety and all of these feelings that we have in in our body come from our thoughts Mm -hmm. and so I would probably start just working on um, actually feeling the feelings and not being afraid of them so we can empower that and then once we get to that point working on the thoughts that cause them you know because really all of this even though it's programmed into your brain from being an infant it still is about your thinking. Right. Don't you think? Yeah. Dovetailing off of that, there's a really great tool that everyone can find online and it's called the feelings wheel. Oh yeah. You've definitely seen this before, but it's this big colorful wheel. And in the middle, it has these more basic emotions. Like I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling. Yeah. I just pulled that out the other day for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And then it branches out from there with more sophisticated words for it. So as you're trying to work on your attachment style, if you're trying to do it on your own or with a coach, um, you want to start paying attention to how you react and respond in conflict or in relationships. Um, And you don't have to perfect it in the moment, just like be aware. Yeah, awareness is always the first step, right? Yeah, the more you can like mindfully, the more you can mindfully notice the more you can work on your attachment. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that's when you want to like later on go to your feelings chart and then really try to explain it to yourself. Like you maybe were angry. And so you want to use extra words. So like I was angry and I felt like there was this fire inside me and this frustration. And I felt like I, you know, like the more that you can add color and words to it, um, the more it'll help you like give a name to that emotion. And, yeah, and I do. I do that exercise with coaching clients. And when I first learned that exercise, it w- it does, it feels really strange when someone's saying, okay, you feel angry. Well, what color is it? And you're like, well, it's red. And is it heavy or light? You know, and you start asking these questions and the more you can describe it, where is it in your body? Is it in your shoulders? Is it, is, is it in your heart? You know, does your heart race? Is it in your stomach? You know, the more you describe the actual feelings in your body that that emotion is creating, the more you can understand it when it pops up again. Yeah. Now, like when you, when I know when I have anxiety, I get super, I get the super frantic energy and I want to do a bunch of things and I feel really like disjointed and, um, you know, kind of scattered, but in my body, it feels a certain way. So if I can understand that and start to name it. Okay. This is anger. This is anxiety that gives you control and helps it, like you said, to dissipate. Right. So so it doesn't, so you don't fight it. Right. Well, also if you're paying attention and you're 
you're noticing like which emotions are the ones that make you the most uncomfortable and you have a name for them right? Um, and that you're trying to avoid, you can bring those up when you're in coaching and therapy. And then you have like, these are the, these are the things that I'm afraid to feel other than, then it, instead of it feeling like this foreign, like mysterious, like, I don't know, I feel weird and I don't like it. Right. You know? Right. And, and not yeah. running from it, but just sitting in it. Right. You know, when I ask clients to sit in a feeling, it, it feels uncomfortable, but over time, the more you do it, then the more comfortable you get with it. And then that feeling doesn't have the power anymore right. that it used to have. You don't fear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, lastly, just notice if you're not letting people into your life in general, because you're afraid of what feelings are going to come up. Like if you feel out of control um, and you're avoiding these relationships so that your attachment doesn't come up, you're just isolating yourself further and it, it doesn't move you forward. It's going to keep you in the same place for as long as you let it. Right. And, and really everyone needs relationships. Everyone needs secure, right. secure, solid relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So learning about this is extremely important for building that and, and being aware of it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Is there anything else that we want to say about it? I would say if this hit home with you and you're noticing like, Oh, one of these (laughs) really (laughs) sticks out to me. (laughs) Oh, now this explains everything. Yeah. I really don't like feeling that feeling or I really don't feel like I really really need help. I really need somebody to help me figure this out. Right. I would, yeah. Reach out. Yeah, for sure. I always say that on the podcast. I'm like, we all as humans need other people to help us Mm -hmm. and nobody has it all together. I mean, as evidenced by these four attachment styles, we all have them. And so, you know, you really have to reach out for therapy. If, if there's a lot of past trauma or you feel really, really stuck in something, start with a therapist, get yourself a life coach, yeah. You know, I mean, could talk someone, to anybody really get, get yourself out there and, and start asking for help. Right. But if you're afraid of asking for help, do you think starting with a coach would be a good way? Like, oh, do you yeah. think you if you're like, I think oh, you would get it from therapy that you, you might be a safe place to, to get started. Yeah. With yeah I really, th- I really think, um, life coaching and that's why I got so excited about it when I learned about it. I really think it's an excellent place to start and it, it's really not threatening. You know, it sounds really yeah. scary to get on a zoom call like this and talk to somebody about your feelings, yeah. <laughs> but, but it isn't, it's, it's really, it's a great, great thing. And I, and I've told people before that I've coached, it's like, look, therapy is the same. It's great. So, you know, find somebody that feels good to you and, and it isn't always you don't always find the right person on the first try, mm-hmm. but trying to find the person that works with you and that can help you, um, life coaching it is more confidence great. in yourself to be like, okay, I did this one time. Like I can find, I'll find the next person if you need to, or other, or you find someone great on the first time and you right. start there and, yeah, learn and, and just don't stop working on yourself. You know, I, I mean, I don't care how old you are or young you are. A lot of these things I wish I would have known when I was 20, but I'm not 20 anymore and I'm still learning and I'll probably continue learning till the day I die. And that's really, I think it, it will really open up your life. 
mm-hmm. you know, to just keep working, doing the, some of the self-examination and then getting coached so you can get better and improve yeah, and feel yeah. better. Yeah. Don't use this information to beat yourself up. This is just a, like op- opening a doorway to have a better life and have secure, close relationships with people if, if you want to have that. Right. Yeah. Exactly that. All right. Well, I thank you so much for being on the podcast. Do you want to tell people where they can find you and all the things that you do? Sure. You have, you have yeah. a YouTube page. Tell I them, have, tell them I all about I have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's just Bridget Capel, just my name. Uh, I talk a lot about Myers-Briggs and I do some personal color analysis uh, stuff. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. Makeup. There. Yeah. There's lots of Bridget, Bridget <laughs> yeah, multi-talented. All those things. Um, <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at that Bridget Capel and um, visit my website, BridgetCapel.com. If you want to take some voice lessons, I have spots open in my studio and singing is a really great way to relieve stress and connect your mind and your body. It's got all kinds of benefits besides just, you know, carrying a tune. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it helps your breathing. It relieves stress. It mm-hmm. makes you feel amazing when you can hit a note that you've never hit before. I had a student today tell me, she said having singing lessons with me has helped her feel more confident on um, phone calls. She said people would oh. notice when her voice got light and shaky before because she would get nervous. Right. And she says now that she knows how to breathe deeper and kind of stay on her body, she's been able to like conquer that a little bit more and have more confident. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, so. cause you teach people how to stand and how to breathe and yeah. how to present themselves and yeah. Kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to take voice lessons um, and <laughs> listen to Bridget sing, <laughs> right. it's amazing. Send me an email at uh, BridgetCapel.com. Yeah. All right. And if you want to learn more about life coaching, go to my website and you'll find my blog and my Wednesday weekly words and a place you can sign up for free coaching. If you just want to meet with me and talk about any of the things that we talk about, if you want to talk about whether you should have a coach or a therapist, I'd be happy to chat with you about that. And I just want you all to um, feel comfortable reaching out and learning these things and getting help. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So thanks everyone for listening. I really appreciate it. And thank you to Bridget for being here. And Bridget's going to be here again in a week or two, um, talking about another subject with Rebecca Reed from Colorpolitan. So we'll look forward to that. I know, I'm so excited. All right, everyone have a beautiful week. Bye.